Hey, good morning. Whether you're tuning in live stream or whether you're here live at Moss Road Campus or Road Campus, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor at Good Shepherd. Always, always, always glad to connect with you and and in particular on this Memorial Day weekend as we uh, really have so much to remember and to be grateful for. And as we continue in this series, Who's Your One? And it's a series where we have been having conversations about how is it that we share the, the faith with people who don't yet have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and uh, a lot of us have had our kind of our minds stretched and our hearts challenged. And I think that uh, some more of that will happen today. And today's message is called Right Answers Only, Please. And it comes from, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to find in the New Testament, it comes from the book of Acts. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And if if your Bible isn't here with you, it's okay. The words will be up on the screen at just the right time. And and if you don't have a Bible at all and you'd like one, make sure you you, you stop and, and, and speak to someone in the lobby. We will be able to make sure that you go home with one in your possession. I know a lot of you have them on your phone as well. And all that is really vital to us that you're able to check the scriptures for yourself and rather than just take my word for it. Because we believe a couple things about the Bible at Good Shepherd. And one of those is just that, uh, that awareness that although it looks like a book, when you hold it in your hand like this, this is not a book. It is a library. And interestingly, when we're in the book of Acts, it's in the New Testament, but it's, it's the part of the library that it's kind of a history book and, and part, part travel memoir. It's kind of both of those things at once, the book of Acts, as it covers the history of the very, very early months and years of the church. And the other thing that we believe about the Bible, and you may still be wrestling with this on your own, and that's fine. We just like to be honest about what we believe. We really do believe that whether it was Luke writing the, the book of Acts or the other authors of Scripture, that God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible is inspired, eternal, and true. And because of those beliefs that we have, we do something different when we're together and we lift up the Bible when we talk about it. And if you've not been here before or you haven't tuned in before and you're looking around and there's phones and books and stuff up in the air and you're like, that's just kind of strange. Yeah, it is. We admit it. We don't try to pretend it's not. But we discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its truth and power to be let loose in our lives. Amen. And before I say another word, let's pray. So Lord, thank you for your goodness. And Father, thank you that we can do this praying together. And I want to ask you, the the people of Good Shepherd, would you now pray in your heart, whether you're tuning in or here live, would you pray for someone in your circle of influence that that as they hear these words, that that the word of God would penetrate deeply? Would you pray that right now? Thank you, Lord, for the collective opportunity to pray and for the difference you're making in people's lives. Fill me fresh, new, full with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, I don't know if you have ever thought about it this way or not, considered it in these terms before, but, but there are a lot of questions that really only have one right answer. There are a lot of problems that really only have one solution to them. Like two plus two will always equal you're on it today and, and even increasing the level of difficulty, eight times eight will always equal? Yeah, that's kind of easy for you. Maybe, maybe let's make it a little bit more challenging, but continue your participation. And I'm, I'm watching you online people to see if you're answering. Let's move to the realm of state capitals. And, and I'll call out a state and, and you call out the capital and we'll start out a little bit easy, like maybe local, North Carolina. Yes, South Carolina. I thought somebody was going to say Rock Hill. No, it's Columbia. Yeah, and, and now so, some states that, that I have lived in. Texas. Very, New Jersey. Newark, no, Trenton, New Jersey. And now for another state I've lived in, I'll make it a little bit easier for you and I'll make it a pronunciation test for you. For Kentucky is the capital Louisville or Louisville? It's Frankfurt, I got ya, yes. That's the capital of Kentucky, Frankfurt, Kentucky. Yeah, you can use that at work tomorrow. You're welcome, you're welcome. Yeah, there, there are these questions that only have one, and none, none of those questions that I just asked you, can you get a do-over? You, 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 you can't, if you put the wrong answer to one of those questions on a test, you can't circle back around and hope that your teacher gives you partial credit. You can't turn in a, a geography test and on your way home, Lord, please, please let Philadelphia be the capital of Pennsylvania because it will always be Harrisburg. These questions have one answer, problems with one solution, but then, but then there's a whole other category of questions that have more than one right answer. That, 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 that answers are more not so much absolute as they're relative. They're not objective, they are subjective. Like, well, what's, your, what's your favorite color? Or, or what's the best ice cream? Or what's the best vacation spot? And, and all of you are answering in your side, like, what's the best ice cream? Every, everybody knows that, that, that it's Rocky Road, but not, not everybody knows that. You know that. And, and, and so there are answers that are absolute and there are answers that are relative. There are questions where you can answer objectively and where you answer subjectively. And honestly, when it comes to matters of faith, especially when it comes to eternity, if most of you are honest, you are really, really deep down hoping for the latter, that the answers are subjective, that the answers are fluid, rather than the former, that the answers are absolute. And if, if anybody would have been hoping for that kind of answer to the most ultimate of questions about eternity, it would have been Peter. 
Peter, who as some of you may know, others of you may not know, either way is okay, one of the leaders of the early church, and, and, and as a lot of you probably do know, even though Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle, Peter himself had denied, like at, at, at the moment, the most critical of moments, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Jesus is on trial for his life, and Peter gets asked three different times, do you know this guy we're fixing to execute? And every time to save his own neck, Peter's like, I got, I got, no, I got nothing. I have no idea who you're talking about. And so that story was so well known in the life of the early church that you know that the buzz around Peter among the very first Christians was that, that when the chips are down, this guy's going to chicken out. Which really makes what happens in Acts chapter 4 all that much more remarkable by comparison. Here, here's the situation in, in Acts chapter 4. Th this is about three months or so after Jesus died and rose again. And it's also about three months or so after Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. And the, the church in Jerusalem has been growing. The book of Acts, remember, it's part history. It's part travel narrative. It's written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. And, and he's been cataloging the church's growth and the church's adventures. And in Acts chapter 3, before the reading we're going to look at today, Peter and John, another insider in the Jesus movement, they've been the Lord's instruments in healing a man who's paralyzed. And that's where the story picks up at chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2. Look, look at what it says. The priests, because this healing happened like in the Jerusalem temple, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, these are all religious elite, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. You may want to underline greatly disturbed. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, do you know why they were greatly disturbed, particularly about this teaching, particularly about teaching on resurrection? Here's why. Here's why it bothers them so much. Because any authority political authority, religious authority, is threatened by teaching about resurrection because that means there's nothing that they can do to you in this life that eternity can't undo. That, that when people know where they are going after they die, when they are sure about the next life, they will refuse to be pawns in this one. And so these religious authorities, they're hearing this talk about resurrection, and oh my gosh, we can't control people. So they're greatly disturbed by it. Look what happens next, verses three and four. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message, the message about resurrection, believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So Peter and John become the, the church's first prisoners of conscience, not, not the last. And, and the church en enjoys this extra surge of growth. They'd had 3,000 people added on in Acts chapter 2, and now 2,000 more, at least 5,000. And I think we believe that's just men. And so just really this burgeoning enterprise. And, and uh, uh, so they have to spend the night in jail, Peter and John do. And then the next day, it's so interesting, Luke doesn't tell us what they endured in jail. 
But the next day, Peter and John have to appear before a special Senate subcommittee on Resurrection Gate. And we, we see that in verses 5 through 7 of Acts chapter 4. Take a look at what it says there. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas and John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Did you heal this man in Acts chapter 3? By what power and what name? Now, notice who's there in verse 6. Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. You know what? This is the same cast of characters who already sentenced Jesus to death. We've already seen them. They have a track record with Jesus and his people, and it's not good. And we already know, do we not, that Peter, when he's threatened with his life, when the chips are down, he chickens out. And so he's asked this question, by what power, by what name do you do this? And you know, knowing Peter like you do now, you, you know he must have been tempted to answer, well, what song is it you want to hear? What, what, what answer can I give to you now that will keep me off the cross that you already put Jesus on? But that's not what Peter does. Instead, motivated by an entirely new kind of power deriving from an entirely different kind of experience. Look what he does in verses 8 and 9. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. So, so Peter's gaining confidence. He's, he's warming up. He's being filled with the Holy Spirit for this, how he's going to answer this question. And then in verses 10 and 11, he, he, he goes from gaining confidence to, to being outright aggressive. And look what he says in verses 10 and 11. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Look, look how in your face he gets. You crucified him. God raised him. Your, your guilt, God's gift, some, someone who, who was a, a, a scaredy pants has now, now really found some courage and some boldness. And he summarizes it all with this remarkable claim in verse 12. Look how, the, how he finishes his speech and how this section winds up. Chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Oh my goodness. No other name, salvation in no one else, Peter says. And it looks an awful lot like when it comes to that most vital of questions, not only questions about faith, but questions about eternity. It, it looks like the answer to that question is a lot more like the 
the answer to the capital of Texas than it is like, well, what's your favorite song? Uh, looks a lot more like an absolute kind of answer than a relative answer. A lot more like Peter is saying that when it comes to faith and when it comes to eternity, this is true for everybody at all time and a lot less like Peter is saying, well, this is what I found to be true, but at the end of it all, you do you. Because you know what sort of chilling, chilling realization you come to when you ponder these words, when you doodle around these words? No other name by which we must be saved, which means that there are a lot of other names by which you will be lost. Like Shiva, the name of one of the gods of the Hindu pantheon? Like Muhammad? The scribe of the Quran? Like Joseph Smith? Who found the golden tablets and established the Mormon religion? Like Mary Baker Eddy? who started the religion called the Christian Science Church with its own alternate scriptures? Like your name? Like my name? Like any other name or, or any other guru or any other goodness that you are latching on to except for the name of Jesus, no other name for salvation, which means a whole lot of other names for damnation. Wow. Because we're talking about who's your one at Good Shepherd Church during this series. Who is the one person that, that God, if you name the name of Jesus, who is the one person, maybe more, but who's the one person God has laid it on your heart so that you might share news with them? And what I want you to know today is when we talk about inviting all people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not inviting all people into a living relationship with a God you invent. It's inviting all people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God crucified, God resurrected, God returning. It is specific and it is precise and it is not someone we invent. He is not the God of our imagination. He's not the God of our understanding. He's not the God of philosophy. He's not a God we figured out. He, he's a God of history. He's a God who invaded planet Earth. And if we don't let people know about his story, they won't know. And so all these factors, the, 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 the remarkable way that, that chicken Peter all of a sudden becomes confident Peter, and, and the way that he, 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 he dares to make this incredible claim, hey, there's no other name by which you must be saved. Man, all that leads me, as we dig into who's your one, all that leads me to ask you a question. And, and it's this, will, will people you know today be lost tomorrow 
because deep down you didn't believe Jesus was the only way. Will, will people you know today, be, because you wanted to find an easier, softer way for them. And you, you kind of backed away from, from saying, hey, you know, Jesus is not a way. He's the way, which is remarkably different from being a way. Will there be people you know who, who because, because you acted more like Peter before the crucifixion than Peter after the resurrection? Will there be people you know today who are lost tomorrow? Because deep down, whew, the only way? One thing, I'm too smart to believe that. I'm too sophisticated to believe that. I'm too modern to believe that. Will people you know today be lost tomorrow? Because deep down, you didn't take Peter at his word. See, this matters to me. When I was being witnessed to, some of you know this, a lot of you know this, others of you know, I didn't grow up this way. I didn't grow up in church. Grew up anti-church, anti-Jesus, anti-religion. And, and when I was my best friend's one, and he was sharing his faith with me. I came up with a question that I was sure, first of all, it would shut him up and, and that would stop his sharing with me. And, and I, I asked him, well, what is the difference between Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and Krishna and all the other great religious leaders of the world? What's the difference between Christianity and other religion on planet earth? And as far as I was concerned, that was the gotcha question. That was like game, set, match of questions, except my friend said, real calmly, of all those people you mentioned, Jesus is the only one who claimed to be God and then proved it by rising from the dead. Simple answer, life-altering truths of all those figures I mentioned, only one claimed to be divine and then burst forth out of the grave to the other side of death. Only one, and that was Jesus. Will people you know today be lost tomorrow because deep down you didn't believe Jesus was the only way? And when, when my friend Philip gets asked that question, I don't know about the rest of his life, but he'll be able to say, hey, at least one, at least one Lord is found today because I gave the answer that he really needed to hear about the resurrection that no one has ever been part, no one else has ever been part of. This matters to our Indian pastor friends. Y'all know we have an Indian ne uh, pastor, a network of Indian pastors whom we work with and devastated by COVID. And, 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 but we ask them, we ask them, why do you do it? When, when sharing Jesus in that land will lose you respect and will cost you your job and will land you in jail, why do you do it? And surrounded by beautiful Hindu people and fabulous Hindu shrines. They say to us, in fact, one of our pastor network friends who I emailed last night, he said, in the middle of COVID, he said, would you pray, pastor, that people would turn from worshiping false idols to worshiping the one true God just because of COVID? That's why they do it. It's so interesting. From, from our place of comfort 
in the U.S., religious pluralism and all, and all that, we water the gospel down. And from their place, on the front lines, in the trenches of spiritual warfare, they heat the gospel up. My God, how can we do anything less? How can we do anything else? We, we're so quick to water Jesus down and our Indian pastor friends, beleaguered, oppressed, persecuted, they're like, no, no, American Christians, heat the gospel back up. Will people you know today be lost tomorrow? Because deep down, you didn't believe Jesus was the only way. See, it's really... It's really tempting to, to trust other people, trust other things, good things, good paths. There's a guy in a, an, another community, really good guy named Bill, who was kind of uh, legendary in his community for donating blood. Anytime the Red Cross set up a blood donation facility, he was there, forearm exposed. And, and he became such a legend that the local news outlet came to do an interview uh, about him. And somehow in that interview, the, the subject of eternity and eternal life got brought up. And, 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 and Bill kind of, in, in a way that made sense, and, and he said, well, well, I've donated over 100 pints of blood in my, my time. That's got to be enough to get me into heaven. He's trusting the wrong blood. He's trusting the wrong blood to forgive sins and purify souls. There's one blood. There's one blood to be trusted. And if we don't tell them, they won't know. And I know, I know some of you, some of you tuning in and, and some of you live at Moss and live at Zora, Zora, you're like, oh, this is so narrow. This is so narrow, Talbot. How can you be saying this stuff? It's so narrow. But asking that question minimizes the significance and the decisiveness of the cross and of the resurrection. Think about it this way. If there was any other way, I mean, Jesus went through the torture of Golgotha. He went through the abandonment and the blood and the pain of the cross. And if he finds out at the end of it all that the father says to him, oh, my bad, everybody's going to heaven anyway. You didn't have to go through all that. What a trick. What a trick the father would have played on the son. Or, or, or Jesus, this, the same one who burst through death on the, onto the other side in the resurrection. And, and, and if we're to find out ultimately our resurrection, it's not that vital. You believe in reincarnation that the, that like the Eastern religions do? It's all good. Resurrection, reincarnation, they're really all the same thing. If they are, why did the early Christians like Peter and like John all die rather than deny the resurrection. And they did, by the way. Peter didn't die in Acts chapter four. He died after the book of Acts was finished and he died by being crucified upside down because he would not deny what he had seen. And he had seen firsthand that one man barreled through death to the other side and he still lives. Well, people, you know today, be lost tomorrow. Because deep down, you didn't believe Jesus was the only way.
Now I gotta admit, there's a lot of questions this doesn't answer. Like what happens to infants who die? What happens to people who lived before Jesus? What, what happens to people with developmental disabilities? Why is Miley Cyrus so popular? All kinds of questions. <laughs> All kinds of questions that this doesn't answer. And do you know, you know how I've wrestled with that and where I've landed at that? that God's gonna make those decisions. These, these questions that I bring up, that, that, that I feel like I have to have an answer before I can be, have, uh, have a settled view on eternity, that, that these kinds of questions that I bring up, God's going to decide and his answers, his decisions are always right. And they're always fair. God has never made a wrong decision. And I don't expect him to start now. And so if I don't know everything, I know enough. And based on the enough that I know, yeah, I, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving in God. Because I don't know if you know, that. not only is, the only one who, is he the only one who decides where people go when they die, but he's the only one with the power to carry out where they go when they die. Can I hear an amen for that? Any one of you who's ever been sure someone you know is going to hell, you're not the one making the decision and you're not the one with the power to implement it. God is. He's never made a wrong decision. He's not gonna start now. As far as you and me and the really propulsive power, propulsive power of the resurrection, our focus, our laser focus on Jesus, Jesus crucified, Jesus risen, Jesus returning. That doesn't make sharing your faith harder. It makes it easier. That, that laser, because you're not telling your story, you're telling his. And that ability to tell his story. Ah, hello, that's what transformed chicken Peter into courageous Peter. And so I want to invite you, the people of Good Shepherd who know, named the name of Jesus, would you laser focus on that resurrection power, almost like the guy who was going to get his, his hair cut and the woman who was cutting his hair happened to be a, 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 a woman from a Muslim background and somehow they got to talking about cutting the hair to, of people who had died to prepare them for burial. This is not really light banter at a hair salon, I suppose, but whatever, that's what they were talking about. And, and, and the woman admitted to the man, she said, I'm scared to cut the hair of people who've died. And the guy said, why? And she said, because I'm afraid one of them's gonna sit up. And the man answered, I know one who did. And so do you. Will people you know today be lost tomorrow? Because deep down you didn't believe Jesus was the only way. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you that we're not smarter than Peter we're not more enlightened than Luke. 
and we don't need to improve on the gospel. Center us on that, on him, on Jesus, not a way, the way. Amen.